Welcome to Hence the Future podcast. I'm Matamor Cronin. And I'm Justin Clark. And today we're talking about the future of happiness. So first, let's start with a definition. What is happiness? I love the definition that Tim Urban puts forth. He's the creator of the Wait But Why blog. And he defines happiness as equaling reality minus expectations. And to me, that's such a beautiful equation because it rings so true. You can have a great reality objectively. You can be a multimillionaire who has giant yacht, giant house, nice family, loving wife, everything that you would objectively associate with happiness. But oftentimes these people are anxious, depressed. They, they want an even bigger house. They want an even bigger yacht. They're not satisfied with what they have. Maybe they have a drinking problem and they get caught in the classic thirst trap of always wanting more and always comparing themselves to the next tier of people in society. And then you take someone on the complete opposite side of the spectrum, someone like, let's say, Gandhi, who only had three possessions to his name in the whole world. He had his cloak, his staff, and his sandals. And even though he had so little as far as material possessions, he was happy because he was filled with a profound sense of self-worth and purpose. And he was near starvation, drinking nothing but lemon water for weeks and months on end as part of his protest. But he had happiness because he knew that his life had value. And I think that really gets to the core of, of what it means to be happy is having some level of enlightenment where your expectations are in line with what's really important and also having a profound sense of self-worth and having meaningful relationships. And I think these aspects really get at the heart of what it means to be happy. Right. And it's definitely a multifaceted issue too. And I like the, the definition put forth by Tim Urban. And I also, I kind of viewed this problem a little differently and looked at Maslow's hierarchy of needs and the, I mean, just to give a quick overview to those that aren't familiar with it, the, the base layer of Maslow's hierarchy of needs is, uh, the physiological needs. So are you, do you get the nutrition you need? Do you feel like you're actually healthy or, and are you actually healthy? And then the layer above that is safety needs. So are you emotionally safe? Are you physically safe? And then the next layer above that is loving and belongingness needs. So this is all about relationships. And then above that you have esteem needs. So what do you actually, how do you actually feel about the work you do? And do you feel valued? And then finally, the last layer is self-actualization needs. And this is actually feeling like you have a sense of enlightenment. And there's, I know there's a spectrum of enlightenment. Um, like Gandhi, for example, that Matamor was just talking about, he was probably on the very high end of enlightenment. Right. And it is difficult to be happy if you don't have those lower, me- lower needs met first. And that was something I noticed when I was looking at the survey of the happiest and unhappiest countries in the world. 
So there are clear commonalities between the happiest countries and also between the unhappiest countries, respectively. So on the happiest countries side, we see countries like Denmark and Norway, lots of Nordic countries. And if you look at the social policies there, everyone has their basic needs taken care of. So every citizen in Denmark gets free health care, free education. They actually get paid to go to college. And so all they really need to focus on is following their dreams and achieving their life goals. And because they have this safety net, they don't have to worry always about staying in some job that they hate or doing things just for the sake of survival. Whereas if you look at the complete opposite side of the spectrum, you see countries like Syria, Togo, Tanzania. These are countries where the lowest level of needs are not being met. It's a daily struggle to survive. You might be shot, you might be bombed, you might just not have enough food on the table, you might not be able to provide the medicine that your sick child needs. And it's really tough to be happy in those sort of environments. And another commonality is they have lots of corruption. They have government corruption, the elections are a sham, and so it's hard for them to make progress. Yeah, and the one of the sad things too is there are very few countries that offer complete a complete safety net even for the very lowest level, which is some sort of universal health care. And I mean, even here in the U.S., you have you have that need met for some people that can afford good health insurance, but you also have a lot of people that can't. And I know there was an attempt to to offer universal health insurance, and there were issues with that because it was almost like a band-aid to a very broken system already. Um, but there are a lot of countries that could use help even at this very basic level. So I guess one question just thinking about the future is, do we think that the world is going to go more in the direction of Denmark and Norway, where all the basic needs are met for everyone in society? Or is it going to go more the direction of Syria, Togo, Tanzania, where the needs are not being met, corruption is higher? And to me, if you look at the actual net results, you see things like actually really positive trends over the long period of time. So we have the lowest infant mortality rates that we've ever had. We have the lowest crime rates that we ever have had. We are seeing lower poverty rates than we've ever had. So, And this was a lot of what Steven Pinker talked about in his book, The Better Angels of Our Nature. And he argues that we're actually living in the best time possible to be alive. There's no better time to be alive than, than now. And part of the reason that people don't realize that and they think that things are terrible is because the news industry is so focused on the outrage culture, because that's what gets clicks. You know, focusing on all of the murders that happened is standard practice for any news channel, but no one talks about the murders that didn't happen. One of the other interesting things about this issue is even even if we're living in the best time, it doesn't necessarily mean that people are the happiest. 
because if you look at some indigenous tribal cultures, I know there have been several studies of cultures down in the Amazon or tribes down in the Amazon where they are just living blissful lives, even though it's difficult and they have a, they have kind of a lack of technology and understanding of how the modern world really works. They're actually some of the happiest people. And, and this is a, this is just an interesting, um, case study when looking at happiness, because it's not necessarily about technology. It's about what, what is your purpose? What is, what are the relationships you have? And in tribal, tribal cultures, everybody is extremely close. You know, everybody, you have ritualistic practices that kind of for males, maybe they go out on a, on a, individual hunt the the elders tell them to go bring back a jaguar and they go out with nothing but i don't know a spear and they have to come back alive with a jaguar or don't come back at all and this is just one of those huge growing experiences and i think uh let's see sebastian junger wrote a book called tribe that was all about this sort of happiness yeah you've all know harari has written about that too where he argues that nomadic cultures actually were a lot happier than agricultural cultures and even industrial cultures. And it's only until recently that we've actually surpassed the level of quality of life mm-hmm. that we used to have when we were nomadic. And I think this gets back to the whole reality minus expectations equals happiness because, you know, when you're just all pretty much on the same plane as far as income. You know, you all share whatever you get. You go out in the morning, you hunt, you come back at like 3 or 4 p.m. once you've killed something, and then you just sit around the fire, you cook, you laugh, you eat. That's a pretty good life compared to toiling away all day, every day on your farm and eating only grains and breaking your back and not having as close relationships and looking at the king who is taking so much wealth compared to what you get and you see that comparison and it makes you unhappy relative to Mm. them. Okay. So I think that the income inequality is another really big issue. Right. And that, that kind of makes people feel psychologically unsafe. And that's still one of the base layers of the hierarchy of needs too. Right. And, Every indicator we have right now, especially in the West, is that income inequality is growing at a rapid clip. And so because the media and social media, they tend to focus on the very top celebrities and the top business people. And we like to, you know, heroize these key members of society. That's who we tend to compare ourselves to. You know, girls tend to compare themselves to the cover models on magazines not to the you know, checkout clerk working at CVS. So income inequality is going to be a big challenge for us achieving greater happiness in the future. Mm-hmm. What do you think might be one of the solutions to this? So to me, the, the best solution is actually following the, the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path in Buddhism. So just to sort of summarize it, the first Noble Truth is that all life is suffering or all life is enduring. The second noble truth is that suffering is caused by three things, by greed and desire, which is represented by a rooster, 
by ignorance or delusion, which is represented by a pig, and by hatred or destructive tendencies, which is represented by a snake. So you can probably all imagine people like this in your own lives, people who are too greedy, too desirous, people who are just ignorant and delusional, you know, like racists comes to mind, and people who just are hateful and destructive tendencies. To me, this like, like people on the left who just demonize anyone on the right, like that's what comes to mind for, for me for those types of people. But Right, and vice versa. Right. Yeah, it's on all, it's on all sides, but everyone has certain elements of those three tendencies. And if we can just get rid of those, that's the first step. And that, that actually gets at the third noble truth, which is that to get rid of suffering, you need to get rid of attachment. So part of why Gandhi's strategy of only having three possessions in the world and just drinking lemon water and living a very simple life and focusing on his purpose, that actually led to greater happiness than always wanting the next cool tech gadget, the bigger, better house, all of that. And then the fourth noble truth is to get rid of these attachments, you must follow the middle way. So Buddhism actually does not advocate for giving up every possession that you own and living like an ascetic. It actually advocates for a middle path. So don't be too frugal, but also don't be too spendful. Don't be overly lustful, but also don't be a complete celibate you know so like with every aspect of life just take the middle path is the is is the best way forward so the question that comes to mind next is will people in the future be able to follow the middle path and with with all that they face as far as technology and income inequality and the other challenges we've talked about oh yeah that's a hard question it's i mean Pretty much everything in life is, well, you almost always find the truth somewhere in the middle, but it seems like with the trends right now, people are jumping to the extremes and not the middle path. Um, People, at least least from what I see here in the U.S., and I know it's different in some other countries, but everything is black or white. There's no middle ground, and... I think that's that's a huge failing. Maybe maybe this is partly due to media, but I think it's also partly due to human nature to just jump to an extreme and and not look at a more nuanced approach to whatever it is, and in this case, happiness. So now let's talk about the worst case, the best case, and the most likely case as it relates to overall human happiness in the next 20 to 40 years. What do you think is going to be the worst case scenario or maybe a couple different worst case scenarios? Yeah, so I I kind of thought of two. The first one that I thought of is a system where there's no support structure like a UBI, which would take care of income whenever automation is really prevalent and we lose a vast majority of jobs. And then also another support structure might be healthcare, and there there are other support structures like um, mental health and a whole bunch of other things. A lot of this has to do with the the culture of wherever you live. But if there are no support structures, and people start to lose even their jobs, 
it seems like we might just have a completely lost generation. And I know people talk about the, the useless class of people that might be a little too old to be retrained to do anything else. And we also probably need to detach from the notion that work is our life's meaning. Um, but that's, that's a whole other podcast that will be coming up eventually. I'm not sure when. Um, but yeah, that, that would be one, one worst case where there's no support structure. Everyone feels disenfranchised and it's just an overall bad situation. Kind of like, um, the, the movie or the book 1984, um, that might be sort of where, where everything goes, even though it's, there are kind of support structures, you still feel psychologically unsafe because you're always being watched. Yeah, I I could see those two scenarios. To me, I think if we give people a support structure, you can go, that can go really wrong. And if you don't give people a support structure, that can also go really wrong. Although the latter might be more of a danger. So if we give people a support structure, but then like, let's say it's like sort of like ready player one where there's the Oasis and everyone just spends all their time in the Oasis, which is basically a virtual reality game where they can derive their sense of self-worth, where they can make connections with people. You don't need to have any money to do this. Your basic needs are taken care of as far as your food and basic education through VR, all that kind of stuff. But then it leads to this feeling, this profound feeling of emptiness because you're not having your real human to human connections. Everything feels somewhat fictional. And I think that is one way the pendulum could swing. The other way is, which actually seems like the trend we're going towards now is not having universal basic income or any sort of safety net. And if that happens, it would be like Occupy Wall Street times a million because, you know, Occupy Wall Street was the 99% protesting against the 1% and, you know, which I've heard from one author calls it the war on normal people, which are basically people that don't have an equity stake in a company that is going to succeed in the next 20 to 40 years. And that would just create a protest, riots, and the, good, the only good thing about it swinging in that direction is that it would trigger such a big social up- upheaval that there would likely be some political reaction, assuming our democratic systems are still in place properly, to where we would provide said support structure. So those are the the two uh, worst case scenarios in my mind. So let's talk about the best case scenario now. What is the best case scenario for happiness? I mean, is it just everyone walking around like the Buddha? Is it technology advancing so much that it disappears? that we are able to have profound human connections, almost like going back to what we were, what we were in our nomadic days, but having the benefit of the safety net as well with all of the modern um, amenities mm-hmm. that we enjoy. Yeah, that, that's actually kind of what I described as the best case scenario, that there are all the support structures in place, and, and the purpose of these support structures would be to increase the total amount of freedom humans have. And we kind of touched on this in the Future of Intelligence podcast. Um, but, but if everyone was 
free to do whatever they want and also encouraged because that's important, then anyone can do whatever it is that makes them happy because no two people have the same definition of happiness. Right. Other uh, advancements that are that could play a, a role here are advancements in psychological medication or, you know, antidepressant medicine has helped so many people that if we can really understand the neurochemistry of what makes certain people depressed without changing who they are fundamentally in, in any way that would make them not want to take that medication, that's another way that we can advance and have greater human happiness. But we also want to be careful in that regard because, you know, one example that I forget who it was that said this, but one potential really bad possibility with AI is if we program AI to optimize for happiness and they basically plug us all into a machine where they just flood our brain with dopamine and serotonin and we basically just go into this blissful psychedelic trip that's completely separate from the real world for the rest of our lives and yes that is sort of happiness and pleasure but it's not the higher pleasures and it's not the higher happiness that enlightened people like the buddha had so i think to get that really ideal best case scenario it requires people to be enlightened and for reality to be better so people's expectations to be in line and for reality to be better and I think that is possible with how widespread information is now. You know, people who can now read the great works of all the great minds throughout history and having access to education and every other safety net is, is very possible in the next 20 to 40 years. Yeah, and this is all assuming that, well, at least for the, the information aspect, making sure the information is actually correct. Right. Because there's a lot, I mean, everyone knows who's living today knows that there's a war on information and there's good information and there's bad information and it's not even just the 24-hour news cycle that's an issue here it's even reaching into scientific uh, publications like what is what is a healthy diet nobody actually knows but a lot of people like to claim certain things like veganism or even the carnivore diet now is purported to be one of the uh, healthiest diets you can eat. It's, it's just a very nuanced thing to find correct information. And hopefully in the future, the, there are artificial intelligence applications that can actually tell us what the correct information is for us individually, because it might be different from person to person. Right. And part of what gives me hope when I look at our own generation, millennials and the younger generation, Gen Zs, it seems like we really value experiences more than material wealth, which is a really good step in the right direction. People nowadays in millennials, they're willing to spend money on yoga retreats or backpacking throughout Southeast Asia or going to some lecture with the person that they really admire, uh, whose book they, they love, but they're not as willing to spend on things like fine China. Like, you know, it's some people I know, like they, their parent, their parents cannot give their China away to their kids because they just simply don't want it. They don't give a shit. They'd rather, they'd rather just get a check and spend that on some amazing experience 
that they can live with for the rest of their lives and that can fill them with happiness every time they remember it. So I, I feel pretty optimistic in, in this regard, especially given how likely it is that we are going to see some sort of universal basic income either before it gets really bad or after it gets really bad in response to that, you know, Occupy Wall Street times a million. Yeah. So as far as the most likely scenario, because that's what we should discuss now, I actually think the likely scenario is that human happiness is going to go down up until we have this safety net in place. And then it's going to go up to the highest levels we've ever had once we figure out how to give everyone what they need while still maximizing human freedom and human safety and those other needs that Justin talked about. Yeah. So kind of what I was thinking for the likely scenario is actually not too different from where we are now. Because even with a UBI or a universal basic income, I think people might still have issues uh, to find happiness. And that's just one aspect of happiness. And it's one of the lower levels of happiness. I still think there's an aspect of human nature here that will make people expect more than what reality is and right. and people in general there will be some extremely happy people and some extremely unhappy people i hope it swings more towards the extremely happy people and i hope there are more people that go towards that end of the spectrum but i see it probably remaining relatively constant because i don't see human nature changing fundamentally unless there are extreme changes in the culture of humanity really right i mean it's it's definitely human nature to always compare yourself to the tech ceo who's taking vacations on the moon <laughs> and who's owning a bigger and bigger chunk of the world every day and like there's always going to be those people at the very top who you're just like, oh man, if I only had that life. But if you're able to realize that that's not what makes you happy, that what makes you happy is really the, the human to human connections and the feeling of self-purpose in mm -hmm. your own life. That if you realize that that's what really derives stable happiness over time, then I think we can see a really great outcome. So I think now is a good time to talk about how we can make people aware of the changes that are going to are going to happen as it relates to happiness, how we can have people see them as opportunities and how we would like people to take action giving this information. Okay. So one of the cool things that I think is happening right now um is it's sort of a point of contention among some people but I think it's really important, and this is the fact that there are a lot of researchers focusing on the use of psychedelics to treat depression, anxiety, and even other forms of disease like PTSD, um, epilepsy. There's, there's just a lot of stuff going into psychological health for people that are already well. It's almost like optimizing. Um, and it, this is the, the psychedelic research was 
kind of shut down in the 60s, I believe. And just now, finally, after 40, 50 years, people are actually starting to have the conversation again. Right. And I think part of the reason that psychedelics are so effective is that it makes you look at your life in a different way. You view your life and the life, lives of those around you through a new lens. And that gives you some perspective on what makes you truly happy, what makes you truly sad and what you can do about it. So as far as being aware of the changes, I would first ask yourself, when are you the happiest? So at what point in your life are you the happiest? Maybe it's right now at this point in your life. And that's great. That's how both Justin and I feel Mm -hmm. that we keep getting happier the more that we learn and the more that we grow. But specifically when, in what circumstances in your life are you the happiest? And for me, it's when I'm living the most in the present. So when I'm at a concert and I'm totally wrapped up in the music and I'm feeling all the good vibes of all the people around me, that's, that's when I'm the happiest. I'm the happiest also when I'm in a flow state of just doing really good work for a mission that I care about. That's when I'm the happiest. So you know, any sort of state like that where you really have that feeling of connection and that feeling of purpose and you're living in the present, to me, that's when you are the happiest you can be. Right. But you don't always only need to be aware of what makes you happy. You also need to be aware of the trends that are taking place in the future. So be aware that income inequality is going to increase in the next however many years. And be aware that a lot of people will fall into the trap of comparing themselves to the people at the top highest level of society. Yeah. And yeah, and if yeah. you want to add. Yeah, I was going to say, so there's this really good book called Flow by Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. Don't ask me to spell it, but it's the book is called Flow, The Psychology of Optimal Performance. And he talks about this study that he ran over the course of, I think, over a decade, where he looked at when people feel the happiest and the most in in the moment, getting whatever it is that they do, getting that done. And he was following people like janitors, like mechanics, and any sort of tradesmen. And he found that some of these people were the happiest people in his entire study, way happier than executives and people at in the 1% or even higher. And this goes to show that it's not all about your, your job, your socioeconomic status. It's about just being in the present and feeling, I guess, in a state of flow. And there are, I mean, there are other ways to look at this than flow, but it's this is just one example to show that it's not all about your socioeconomic status. Yeah, and part of the challenge in the modern way of living is that we are so attached to our phones and to technology that it's hard to be in those states of flow when you constantly have notifications, when you know your your boss, you know, at all hours of the day is reaching out to you and you can never just be in your own space. So I think part of how we can all improve our states of flow and our own happiness is by disconnecting certain times of the day and when we are doing really good work or when we're somewhere that we love to be. Like if you're at a play or if you're at 
a movie or a concert, just put your phone away or put it in airplane mode so you can really live in the present. And as far as the opportunities of what's to come, they're actually the flip side of technology is they're putting more and more features in technology that help you be mindful and help you be happy. So Apple in their, you know, the latest Worldwide Developers Conference, they came out with all of these features that help you track how much time you're spending in different apps. And they can actually notify you to stop using an app if you've already gone over your daily limit. You know, similar to like calorie counting, but more for like minute counting for how much time you're, you're using in, in these different apps. Yeah, that's awesome. And like, you know, meditation apps, they might seem like an oxymoron, but they actually do have some very cool meditate, guided meditations that you can just, you know, for five minutes a day, as soon as you wake up, before you go to sleep or whatever works for you, you can just put in headphones, close your eyes and just be mindful for five minutes. And I know Sam Harris is coming out with a meditation app. So I would say notice the opportunities of how technology can also help us be more mindful and more happy. Um, but my personal, personally, I like to unplug for periods of time. Yeah, and that that's probably good for everybody, honestly. And so finally, just take action is how we always end the podcast. So take action in your own life to be happier. And I think the best way to sum it up is by following the middle, the middle way. So whenever you're wondering what path you should take in life, don't take either extreme, take the middle path. And I completely agree with that. So I think that's it for today's podcast. If you enjoyed it, you can rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you may happen to be listening to the podcast. If you have questions for us or a topic that you'd like us to discuss, you can go to our website, hencethefuture.com and enter a suggestion into our suggestion box. We'll give you a shout out if we choose your topic. You can also reach out to us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. Our handle is hencethefuture and you can use the hashtag hence the future in order to make sure that we see whatever questions you're asking. Join us next time for the future of jobs, automation, and the workplace. Mm -hmm.